You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore that So, getting a ton of questions right now, and uh, I also want to start turning our attention to Tampa Bay today. So, I'm going to try to focus mostly on Tampa Bay. I don't think I'm going to have time for all this other stuff. Um, I mean, we got to look at injury report and very pertinent things. But, a lot of again, a lot of really good and relevant questions. But I got to table it because we got to really start to turn our attention here. So, we're going to be looking at the number one offense versus the number one defense. I don't know if that's 100% the reality of it. But um, I think there's a very good case to be made for that. In fact, I've been sitting here saying, I don't understand why everybody keeps saying that they're the number one defense. I don't think they're that good. However, I think both things are true. I think their defense is fairly good, but certainly not elite or unstoppable or immovable, I guess would be a better term. But it's also possible to be sort of iffy and mediocre and still be the best because defenses really are that bad. I was just kind of poking around here at a couple things before I got started, trying to gauge, like, okay... Because, well, PFF, the number one defense that they have right now is Tampa Bay. That's true. If you look at DVOA, they've got their two different metrics. They've got their Dave score, which takes into account stuff that's kind of useless. And then they've got their uh, regular DVOA, which the reason they do Dave is early in the season, we need extra information. So I think they usually use preseason. I don't know if they're using last year or whatever. Um, Or maybe they always use last year. I don't know. But it's just a little extra filler information to, to backfill what we don't yet know. Either way, depending on which one you look at, they either have them as number one or number two. But perspective in this matter is important. And, and I know it's going to sound like, well, you're just being a ridiculous biased Packer fan. I, I'm just I'm just looking at it, man. Because, again, I, I don't really respect the, the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense. But at the same time, it's like, all right, find somebody who's better. It's like, okay, well, duh, the Bears or or the Colts or, you know, whatever. But I'm looking at the Colts, and the thing is, if you look at, for example, PFF, it breaks down how the defense graded out by week because it's possible. A lot of these, you know, there's lots of times when I'll look at, uh, you know, I'm working on a Packers mock draft, and it's like, oh, man, he's got real good run D and real good, pal, oh, man, across the board. And then you look at it on a week-to-week basis. He had like four elite games and was either average to subpar the rest of the season. And it's like, that kind of sucks a little bit. So then I was like, do I want to stick with this guy? It's just a mock in October. I don't think it matters that much. But the the context changes quite a bit. But if you look at the Colts, who I think PFF has third and they're number one or two in points allowed, think about their offense. It's kind of stumbling and bumbling a bit, right? It's not what anybody would call the most elite or dominant offense. In fact, that's been a massive disappointment, whereas most people thought this would be a big upgrade, right? We brought in a veteran um, quarterback. We've got a dominant offensive line. We brought in a dominant running back. Shush. We did all these things, right? The Colts have graded 70 or above only two out of five times, and it's hard. I don't think I have yet found a defense that's had more than two good games. They also had two. The highest grade their defense got was a 73 against the New York Jets. Their offense has graded out in the 80s twice. 
If you look at the Chicago Bears, same exact situation. They have two games in the 70s. Their best was a 74 against the Falcons, which is impressive, I guess, because it's kind of the Falcons or whatever, but still not that great. The highest grade their offense has got so far this year was 78 against the Giants. And no, it's not the fact or the, the, the fact of the matter that it's just always this way. In 2019, the highest grade that the Bears offense got was an 80. The highest grade the Bears defense got in a down year was an 84. Right now, the highest defensive grade is Tampa Bay at a 76. Tampa Bay's own offense is an 85 overall. It's not even close between their offense and defense right now. And again, to the point of, well, that's just PFF just favors offense. It's not true. Based on their own metrics, the number one defense right now would be um, the 10th best defense in 2019. The Steelers, the 49ers, the Patriots, the Vikings, the Broncos, the Rams, the Saints, the Cowboys, and the Bills all ended up with higher defensive grades than where the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are at right now. There were five teams in the 80s and basically two teams in the 90s, the 49ers and the Steelers. 76 is the highest right now. It's just, I mean, it's, and again, maybe it'll change. Maybe it won't. Maybe crowd noise really does factor in that much. Offenses with, with having all that silence, they can concentrate more. They can hear the calls better. Who knows? I don't know. But I think if this matchup genuinely comes down to the Packers offense versus the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense, that is a massive disadvantage for the Buccaneers. Massive disadvantage. Nobody right now wants to have to win because of their defense. And so if we just look at the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense, what, what, what is it that made them so dominant? And you don't have to just look at, we'll look at from different angles, but let's just start here. Because again, a very cursory look. And, 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 the reason I want to hammer this, again, it, it has less to do with the fact that they have a bad defense and more to do with the fact that everybody out there in Packers media is banging the same drum. This is an elite defense. It's a scary defense. It's da, 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 da. We need to put this into context. I'm fine conceding that this is the best defense, but we need a lot of context. They graded out as average with a 60 overall grade against the New Orleans Saints, who scored 34 points against them, this elite defense. They graded out as average with a 62 overall grade against the L.A. Chargers, with a, who scored 31 points against them. They graded out high average, 69-ish, against the Panthers, who are terrible, that scored 17 points against them. I know the score is great, but they didn't grade out all that great. The run defense was putrid, which is the one thing that they're telling you is going to be really good. They only graded out solid once. That was against the Chargers, basically an elite grade, everything else, blech. And with Novea, that, that makes it even harder. The two games that they graded out really well in, the Denver Broncos, they got a 76 overall grade. That's the Broncos. The other is the Chicago Bears. So the only two times that PFF said, wow, this is a good defense, was against the Bears and the Broncos. Those are two pretty terrible offenses. Two teams out of five this season have scored in the 30s, one of which is the Saints, who right now PFF says is the 16th best offense in football. The other is the Chargers, who PFF has as the 27th best offense in football. So, yeah, I'm sorry I'm not quite as panicked um, about this game as other people. To be completely honest, I'm more scared of Tom Brady than I am their defense. I think Matt LaFleur and this Packers offense can carve up this defense. You know, not that there aren't going to be some complications, not that they're a useless defense by any stretch. They've got some talented pieces. And of course, I'll throw in this caveat, because every time I get cocky, I can just imagine people say, you said we wouldn't lose. Of course, the Packers can lose. The Packers can lose to the Texans. The Packers might lose to the Bears. They might lose to the Vikings. They could lose to the Lions. 
Again, I'm just stating facts, and I'm putting together what I see as just the information, and then I'm making a decision, and my decision is the Packers are the better team and should win. Should win. Not will win, should win. We'll save will win for Sunday. That's a different podcast. The uh, Denver Broncos, the the second best game that they had all year, the 32nd best offense in football right now, the Chicago Bears 22nd. The Panthers are 16th. So they have not faced a single team in the top half of offenses. The Panthers and Saints are tied for 16th. So 16 and 17. So 16, 17, 22, 27, and 32. Those are the offenses they've faced. So yeah, when they're grading out as the best defense in football, maybe it's because they haven't faced one team that is in the top 16, the top half of offenses. Not one. This entire season, the Packers have. The Vikings are fifth in offense right now. Vikings scored a lot of points, but if we didn't play the Vikings, if we instead played the Bears and the Vikings didn't rack up a bunch of points against us, we might have the best defense in football. The other, the other thing that I had, had done, and I hate to give it away because this is kind of how I'm going to be doing it the rest of the season, but on this newsletter that we're sending out, and by the way, it's officially a thing. I'd love for you to get signed up. Again, it's not just me saying, hey, check out the podcast. Here's my Patreon. Just bogging you down with every advertisement I have. In fact, there's no advertisements on it. It's all just content, and it's a lot of bullet point, real quick, easy read type stuff, um, stat of the week, all that kind of cool insights that, I'll be honest, I didn't even see half of this. I'm really impressed with it. But anyways, one of the things in there, we've got three guys working on this. There's me, there's JJ, and then there's, uh, man, I really need to figure out how to pronounce his name. I've already done it before because he jumped in on Patreon. So it's one of the ones I stumbled over, but I don't want to get it, I don't want to get it wrong. So let's just say a very talented young man. But anyways, we, we've, we put in our point totals. And it was a very simple exercise for me. Rather than just, you know, trying to do it in a fun way, I have to nerd out on it. And so the question for me was very simple. What do each of these defenses do in comparison to the other teams? And then apply that to the other team's offense. For example, when I'm about to figure out how many points are the Packers going to score, here's what I do. I look at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They face the Bears, Chargers, Broncos, Panthers, and Saints. I'm going to grab all five of these teams, and I'm going to ask the question, how many points do they score when they're not facing the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? What is the average point total? And then how does that compare to the points that they scored against Tampa Bay? Is it 95%? Is it 105%? Is it a little bit more, a little bit less? And then you look at, let's say, the Packers. They score, I don't know what the, the point, 32 points a game or whatever. And you apply that number, the Packers' average score, to how much more or less a team scores when they face the Buccaneers, and vice versa for how much the, the Bucks are going to score. The fact of the matter is, it's it's pretty average. I don't have it in front of me, so I'm, I'm failing, and I don't really want to spend the time doing the math all over again, because then I'm going to end up giving you five more minutes of content, because I sat here doing math as much as I really want to nerd out. But it was roughly like .95. In other words, they score 95% of their usual total. That is to say, if you're usually scoring about 30 points per game, you can expect to score about 28, 29 points against the Bucs. And maybe it's a little bit, I think it might be lower because I have the Packers, I think, at about 26 points. So it's a little less, but it's not a lot less. And then I, when I did it for the Packers, what I realized is it's almost the exact same. I think it's a little bit less for the Packers, but it is almost the exact same metric. In other words, the Buccaneers might be at about 0.95 and the Packers are at like 0.93 or vice versa. Packers are 0.95, Bucks would be 0.93. That would make more sense. 
it's very close. The point is both teams, both teams have defenses in which when you face that team, you're going to score less than your average, which the Packers aren't going to get any credit for. Well, the Packers are garbage. Look at the point totals, okay? But you're not looking at the team. And obviously this gets better as you move on down because you get a larger sample size. Right now I'm looking at three to four games for each team, what their average is, and then comparing that to what happens when they face those teams. But the point is both teams are rated about average. If you're scoring 25 points a game, you're probably going to score roughly 25 points a game against the Packers and the Bucks, a little bit less for each. And so really what it came down to, and you know, obviously there's a million different ways to slice this up, there's a billion different factors, but just based on that, I got the Packers winning by about 10 points. Because the fact of the matter is both defenses have very little impact, so it comes down to the offenses, and the Packers' offense is, is miles ahead of where the Bucks' offense is. Now, you could flip that around and say, okay, but let's compare offenses. I suppose you could do that. But then you get kind of caught up in a little bit of a conundrum. You get into these infinite loop type things, which I don't know how to resolve. And again, it's just a fun exercise. But the point is, it's it's not like 50%. You know, if you're scoring 30 on average, you're scoring 15 against the Bucks or 20 against the Bucks. It's not. It's It's pretty close to average, which would make sense because, again, even really good defenses are pretty, you know, good, not great. But even if we just look at a couple of these, um, the Bears only scored 20 points against the Buck. They scored 17 against the Giants and 11 against the Colts. Right? We know the Colts also do a good job. There's a big difference between 11 and 20. And they scored 27 against the Lions and 30 against the Falcons. If you look at the Chargers, for example, the most points they, they the point totals they've scored this year: 16, 16, 20, 27, and 31. 31 was the Bucks. Again, I just noticed the mic was turned down, so I apologize that it's so loud. I will slowly and incrementally up that as we go, so I'm not blasting your ears off. But hopefully by the time this wraps up, you'll be able to hear what I'm saying. So whenever I have to close this, I usually just leave it open. Whenever I have to close it and reopen it, all the settings reset, and it's something gets messed up. But my computer was slow, blah, blah, blah. So again, it's not I'm not making the case that this is a terrible defense, but based on the same amount of information and logic people use to say that it's the best defense in football, I could easily point to it and say, I don't know, maybe it's one of the worst. The Chargers are averaging what? They're averaging 22 points a game. They scored 31 against the Buccaneers. I mean, it's just, and, and again, it comes down to, I don't want to go fully into it because it's one of the questions I want to explore, but somebody asked a question, I don't even remember exactly what it was, but something to the effect of what makes, what makes a win or a team fraudulent? Like, what is that metric? And I don't exactly know the answer. I haven't really explored it much. But the point is, if you're a dominant team, there's certain things you generally don't see. Now, maybe you'll you'll give up one. You know, the, the 2011 Packers, I think, lost one game to the Chiefs inexplicably. Like, what in the world was that? Maybe you'll have, like, one of those. But, I, you know, for example, the 2019 Packers, it felt like every week was was disappointing. And so I don't know if there's a hard and fast metric. It's just kind of one of those things where you know it when you see it. And I won't reference where that comes from, but if you know, you know. The point is, you think about the best of the best defenses in football. When we talk about the best defenses, we're talking, I mean, you know, 2018 Bears. Just flipping dominant. Legion of Boom. You know, the the early 2000s Buccaneers. You know, whatever. Whatever comes to mind when you think just elite defenses. Are they going to give up 31 points? to a garbage team like the Chargers, and pick any, 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 any dominant defense throughout, you know, the course of history. Does something like this ever happen? And I know the, the, the Bears gave up points. They had three games in the 30s. So I guess sometimes it might, but you look at these point totals, man, 6, 9, 9, 10, 10, 10, 14, 16, 16, 17, 17. 
more than half the season was less than 20 points. That's remarkable. Including teams like the Packers, 17, the Seahawks, 17, the Eagles before they were garbage, 16 points allowed. That's the team that beat them because the offense only mustered 15. They dominated the Eagles. The Lions, who for all their faults had a good offense, 16. The Vikings, 10. The Arid Out Buccaneers scored 10. The 49ers scored 9. The Rams, the 2018 Rams scored 6 points. So yeah, the Bears allowed 30 points three times that season. The, the Bucks have done it twice already in five games. Almost half their games have been 30 or more points. The only two games that are below 20 so far, again, terrible, terrible offenses. Panthers and the Broncos, and the Bears were at 20. So I just, I, I have a hard time putting them in that category. They have as many games in the 30s as they do below 20. But again, you look at the metrics, they're eighth in points, which is not bad. Second in yards. Second in, or number one in rushing yards allowed. Number one in yards per attempt. Only 2.7 yards allowed per attempt. That's pretty impressive. But something to keep in mind, and again, they're, they're, they're really good at it, and that's cool. Not only do you have to remember that Vita Vea is no longer on this defensive line, and they got other good players, and we'll, we'll talk about some of those guys, or at least one of those guys, Golston. Let's just say Golston, who, by the way, is more pass rush right now, but whatever. Remember, we faced the Vikings and the Saints, whose number one objective was we don't allow a lot of rushing yards. In fact, there was the whole thing about how the Saints haven't allowed a 100-yard rusher since you know 1942 or what you know just i made that up but it's been a long time they don't allow a lot of rushing yards that's their number one objective and so what do we do we just started passing started passing and again when you take it in context of what uh you know pff is seeing when they're watching the run defense they've got them seventh they've got the buccaneers the seahawks the 49ers the steelers saints ravens buccaneers um that's the order for run defense and again, there's a difference between grading out well and statistics. Right? It's one thing to have dominant football players that are stopping the run. It's another thing to just load the box and say you're not going to run against us. Those are two separate things. Remember, PFF is mostly looking at the individual players and then kind of just aggregating that. If you have a great group of guys that are great at stopping the run, you're going to do very well. But anyways, again, right now my biggest concern, although you know clearly you got to respect the defense, it's maybe the best we've faced so far this year. But also, factor in what's more difficult, facing the uh, Saints without Devontae Adams or the Buccaneers with Devontae Adams. Mm, I'll be honest, I'm probably going to take this game. In fact, it's not really close, in my opinion. Anyways, why don't we, uh, why don't we take a break? We'll come back and we'll look at the individual players and whatnot and uh, injury reports and see what exactly we're up against. As always, if you want to support the podcast, lots of ways to do so patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy you can join that for as little as a dollar a month it's only a buck the difference between what it means for you and your family and what it means for me and mine is pretty massive when you factor in you know if everybody did it i'm just saying um pleased to report the numbers did go back up so we're kind of back into that uh if everybody gave a dollar territory uh after i messaged the group and everybody kind of letting them know hey the the podcast is still going on even though especially apple itunes and i know some of you guys came to the defense of apple I knew some of you guys would be upset because there's a lot of loyalists out there. But the fact of the matter is iTunes is by far the biggest offender. They're the biggest provider. And I think it's just by default because Apple users are just like, well, this is the Apple thing. And I would implore you, please try to find something else. Because it was pretty upsetting to see the numbers just take a dip and be like, what is going on right now? And it wasn't until somebody reached out and they're like, I don't know, man, your stuff's broken. 
and I go check iTunes, and it hasn't updated my last two episodes. I mean, if you just Google my show on iTunes and look, it's from, you know, the, the last two shows have not been updated yet. And so I post in the Facebook group, and they're like, oh, I thought you just disappeared. That's weird. Like, come on, man. All this work. And you can't even just update a simple feed. That's pathetic. The world needs better, man. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, you know, I'm not 100% sold on Spotify. I know some people are very anti-Spotify. I don't really care. I just hope somebody does better. Because there's, there's a lot of small kind of startup companies just kind of getting into conversation here that have some really great ideas for podcasting. One of them is having like a video element, which I know kind of goes against podcasting, but um, I had mentioned uh, Adori, which I've, I also kind of trashed them because I said I get my update that I there's a new Packernet podcast episode in the afternoon, which is another issue. My Occasionally I'll forget, but very rarely does that happen. If you're getting my episodes in the afternoon, like if, if I put out a podcast that is my predictions for Sunday and you get it Sunday afternoon after the games, I'm not a, I'm not that big of an idiot. I didn't do that. That's your chosen app is garbage. So I wouldn't be the worst idea. I've got like six of them on my phone just because I like to check where I'm ranked. It's not that hard to get a bunch of them. And if you got alerts set up, you can just set up alerts and whichever one, one of them is going to pop up. If, if you've got Android, I use Google Podcasts. I know I'm pumping up Spotify, but mine, by the time I walk upstairs to get ready for work, usually it pops up that there's a new episode. So it's within like five minutes. So if it's hours and hours later, which I know you don't know when I post it, but I have to be out my door at 545 at the latest. If you're not seeing it by 545, either I forgot or your app is garbage. And I very rarely forget. It's 545 Central. I'm just throwing it out there because I, you know, again, I, I, a big benefit of getting up at three o'clock in the morning and doing all this work and losing all this sleep is to make sure you have a podcast for your drive to work. It's kind of important, right? <laughs> because if you don't get it till three in the afternoon, you probably podcast out or whatever. So I would, I would implore you to just, just explore, just shop around a little bit, try some other ones. They, they have different features. Anyways, <laughs> off track here, this Adori thing, one of the cool things they had was that there was somewhat of a video element that, that I could add. I had a meeting with uh, the guys that developed this. But, like, as you're talking, stuff will pop up. Like, I, I could literally put links in there. So, like, if I if I have a reference to a play that happened, we could pop up that play. could play on your phone as it's happening. You know, back in 2009, Rogers, you know, whatever. Just saying, there's, there's a lot of cool technology with a lot of, you know, young startups. But the problem is you get these Goliaths like iTunes that do nothing and they're garbage and they don't care. They don't put any money or effort into it. And everyone just sticks to them loyally because it's just, you know, just what you do, I guess. I don't want to venture out. And so we get stuck with garbage while these young grinders go out of business losing millions of dollars because nobody wants to switch because we just don't feel like switching. That's my, my non-football rant of the day. I'm, I'm optimistic. We're going to get some cool podcast stuff in the future. It's just a matter of one of these tech giants just has to actually care. And, I, and the reason I like Spotify is they're, they're really putting a lot of money into podcasts. They see the vision for it. They're not there yet. But I know they're working on a video element. So I like where they're headed. I don't think iTunes is headed anywhere. I don't think they're doing anything. I don't, I don't think Google really is either. So I'm just somewhat optimistic. You know, Spotify is determined to dominate the market. Unfortunately, they're really not close right now. I was looking at the numbers. Um, everybody's kind of popping up like, oh, I use this or I use that. And, you know, the assumption is a lot of people use other stuff. I think it's roughly 60% of my listeners come from iTunes. So when I'm hammering people, it's because almost all, I mean, it's 60% is huge. The next highest is Spotify at 7%.
So when I say iTunes dominates the market, I mean dominates. And so when they're not able to push out my content, and, and the thing is a lot of these smaller apps that you use, they pull from iTunes. So if you're like Himalaya, it's, if it's messed up, it's because it's pulling from iTunes, which is not displaying my show. And I know because if it's still the old, you know, Pack Daddy logo, it's pulling from iTunes. Get rid of it. All right, I promise I'm done now. Um, tell your friends, tell your family, tell your wife, tell your husband, tell your kids about the show. Thanks. Um, yes, there are going to be giveaways. Uh, people are asking. I feel like this uh, flick chat thing is, is plateauing a bit. They do have some fun interactive things that are coming, so I don't want to bail on it quite yet, but um, it's definitely not garnering the kind of excitement that I was hoping, but we'll see. It is where I'm at. It is now where 200 and some people are going to be at to just chat about the Packers, the Packers game that's coming up. I just think it's kind of a fun interactive way. Again, we had the Packers thread in the Facebook group, which is kind of cool, but it's hard to you know keep going back there, finding it, reading the comments putting in your own comment, whatever. This is just a, an active... It's kind of like a Discord for Packers fans with built-in stats and, and polls and whatever. So there will be, in fact, several giveaways. I'm still planning on doing the, uh, you know, if you invited the most people, you're going to get paid for it. I don't know if anybody's actually doing that, but um, come Sunday, I'm going to ask you to, uh, if you're participating and think you have a shot at winning that, to send me a screenshot of how many pixels you've earned because you earn pixels when you invite people and they accept. So that'll be set for Sunday, and then we're going to be doing Iron Jock Player of the Game. That also will be in the Flick Chat. Depending on how much more interest we get this week, we'll either continue doing it or possibly go in a different direction. We'll see. Never know week to week, man. Anyways, let's talk a little bit about Iron Jock. Iron Jock is a Wisconsin-based clothing company they just launched this year. They've been putting a ton of time and effort into this. I know I had talked to them last year about uh, possibly having them on as an advertiser, but they just weren't quite ready yet. So they've been, you know, crossing T's and dotting lowercase j's, making sure that what they send out is the absolute highest quality. And I can tell you, again, it it really is fantastic stuff. It's kind of like when you give a kid a present that's like, you know, a costume or something. What do they do? They put it on and they wear it around the house all day long like the superhero outfit. They want to go to the grocery store in it. That's me with my Iron Jock hoodie. I'm walking around the house when it's hot inside, like with my Iron Jock hoodie on, because it's cool. Wear it to work. Wear it on my walk. It's like a grown-up superhero costume. But outside of the hoodies, they got polo shirts, they got vests, they got workout shirts, sweatshirts, shorts, socks and underwear, running jackets, pants. You can check it all out at ironjock.com. Again, remember, this is high-quality stuff. All of their clothing wicking and fast drying breathable anti-static and odor eliminating because of the infused silver ion which kills 99.9 percent of bacteria and fungus caused by sweating which means no stinkage and also remember they have their enduratech plus fabric which is water repellent that comes with their long pants shorts hoodies and running jackets so please check out iron jock i-r-o-n-j-o-c.com follow them on facebook or on twitter at iron jock In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. 
Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, so let's look at the uh, injury report here. We got some uh, some fairly good news. Primarily, some of the limited guys are now full, full participation. Chris Barnes and especially Jair Alexander, the, the biggest concern I had was him. I don't know that it was ever really all that serious, but you just never know. Right? I mentioned before, you see limited on a Wednesday and you think, ah, he'll be fine. And then all of a sudden on Friday, it's did not participate. And it's like, oh no. But those two guys went to full participation. Uh, Rashawn Gary, still limited. He's got uh, ankle issue. Mercedes Lewis went from limited to did not participate. Kind of hard to gauge what that is. Is that kind of what I'm talking about where it got worse and we got to rest him? Or is it just a general, because he's he rests anyways. Maybe he's feeling better, but they're they're thinking, okay, we think he's good. Let's put his veteran rest day today. It'll make sure we're kind of lock in, like his knee really feels good. And then by Friday, he's full participant. So Friday will kind of be a big thing. If he's not practicing Friday, he's probably not going to play. If he's a full participant, then that's probably what we were looking at. Let's just give him one full solid day of rest, get him back practicing Friday, and we'll be good to go. Um, the, the two kind of ones that are the most concerning to everybody – um, that did not participate, Tyler Irvin and Kevin King. Irvin with a wrist injury, Kevin King with a quadricep injury. Uh, nothing is definitive as of right now. But um, the big question is what happens with the absence of Kevin King. I don't know. Not really diving into that today. My automatic thought is Josh Jackson because that's always been my thought. I, he was sort of the number three next man up. My thought was it's not even necessarily the case, although it very well could be the case, that Chandon is the number three and Josh Jackson is the number four. It's simply that Josh Jackson is not in the slot anymore. They made him definitively. Remember, that was the whole thing. You are a boundary guy, which is what should have happened the whole time. He never belonged in the slot or at linebacker or at safety or any of that. And they kept moving him around. He never had a time to just sit and learn how to play. This year, they're saying, okay, you're going to stay outside. You're going to learn to play outside. You're going to get very good outside. That's all you're going to do. And so that's his thing now. So I'm assuming that's what it is. It's possible Kadar takes that spot. But if we're just going based on snap counts, the next man up is Josh Jackson, unless something else um, were to happen. If you look at, again, these total snap counts, Josh Jackson has been on the field 35 times, Kadar Holman 17. Now, Josh Jackson is um, the second lowest graded player on this entire team, which isn't great. Unfortunately, that largely has to do with his game against Atlanta. There was a lot of hope because he looked good in, in you know down the stretch last year, looked real good in training camp. Then coming in this year against Detroit, he goes out five times. He had an 85 overall grade. It's like, that's awesome. He had 28 snaps against Atlanta. He played a lot. It was bad. 
Now, only one target, one reception for six yards, but for whatever reason, what they watched was terrible. Part of the issue, although his coverage grade was bad, it was a 31, meaning he wasn't locking down anybody. Why he didn't get targeted more, I don't know. Maybe it was safety help, quarterback wasn't looking, I don't know. But there's also the run defense slash tackling issue. He had a 28 overall run defense grade, a 24 overall tackling grade, two tackles, three missed tackles. It's very rare to see more missed tackles than tackles, but he managed that feat. So it will be a little bit interesting. I don't know. Again, I'm just going to go with the Matt LaFleur mantra of what a great opportunity for somebody to step up. And I do think it's important, especially for Josh or Kadar or whoever, because I think the, the Packers are in a similar situation with Kevin King as they are with a guy like Preston. If you can step up and take his job, all the better. Because we got a lot of contracts we got to figure out, and we'd rather not have to pay him. Kevin King is, you know, probably going to command more than he's worth, just being completely honest about it. So far this year, his grade is a 57. It's just, it's not good enough, man. Keep hearing about this great Kevin King breakout. He's going to be great. He's going to be a lead. He had a bunch of picks last year, but he still didn't grade out all that well. He just has never been that good of a, of a corner. Flat out just hasn't been a very good pick. And I talked about how you got to give guys time, maybe, 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 and, you know, well, he's hurt. Well, this, well, that. Okay, well, we're going into year four. I said it takes three years. We're going into year four. His rookie year, his grade was a 51. Sophomore year, a 56. His junior year, a 62. And now his senior year, I guess, a 57. He's always right in from between 50 and 60, which is bad. That's just where, where he is all the time. So this, you know, basically first round pick, you know, early second, whatever, 6'3", 200 pound, 4'4", for whatever reason, they just can't get the best out of him. And so again, I think from the Packers' perspective, they don't want to have to give this guy a big contract. I know a lot of Packer fans love Kevin King, his upside, his potential. Some of you think he's, he is a good corner. Look at what he, you know, whatever, I don't know. But despite five interceptions last year, it just, it wasn't that great. His coverage grade was a 62. That was his highest ever. So it is an opportunity. It is an opportunity to, to, to kind of step up. Now, the, the bad thing about it is that when you're looking at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and their wide receivers, despite the fact that none of them are really doing all that well this year, um, they're grading out pretty terribly. Mike Evans is the 64th highest graded wide receiver right now. You still look at it and say that's obviously a Kevin King matchup. Six foot five, just absolute monster. As good as Jair is, that's a tough matchup just size-wise. So what the Packers do with that, I don't know. I, I would assume you'd have to put Jair on Evans as much as is possible and hope that he can manage the size difference. But we'll see. That's one of the things. If we do play Josh Jackson, there may be a little bit of that, which, again, sounds like a nightmare matchup. But one of the things about Josh, which is maybe a little bit of his downfall, is the fact that he's a very aggressive uh, physical corner, which could work to his benefit against a guy like Mike Evans. Could also mean he just gets carved up for 200 yards. I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see how it goes. Um, as far as the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and their injuries right now, so far they're looking pretty healthy. Um, Jordan Whitehead, the safety, and Khalil Davis are the only guys that did not practice. They got a bunch of limiteds, but I'm assuming they're all going to be okay to go. Levante David, Carlton Davis, the cornerback, Mike Evans, Leonard Fournette, Chris Godwin, Rob Gronkowski, LaShawn McCoy, Scotty Miller, Jason Pierre-Paul, all limited. Again, I'm assuming all of those guys are going to play. So for the most part, their whole team is healthy. The only potential hit that they're going to have is the safety whitehead um, as far as starters that may not play. But we'll have to see how it goes. I mean, look, it's not going to be – very rarely is there a real legitimate walk-in-the-park game. And we've seen that especially in 2020, games where these guys have no business winning games or winning games. There's no doubt in my mind the Buccaneers have every 
chance, ability to win this game. They've got a talented offensive line. Tom Brady, despite all the talk about him being terrible and his fourth down flub, PFF has graded as the third best quarterback in football right now. It's Rodgers, then the Seattle guy. I cannot think of his name. Wilson, there we go. And then Brady. So, in other words, their interpretation is not your interpretation. That the the problem with this offense is Brady. They're saying the problem is the wide receivers. They're 100% putting it on them. Again, Evans 64th, Miller 72nd, Johnson in the slot 110th, Gronkowski 28th out of 63. Nobody is of the weapons are any good. Leonard Fournette uh, is grading in the 60s. But just a general overview because I got to get going. A a decently solid offensive line, talented quarterback who, by the way. The one thing you can't deny about Tom Brady, regardless of what you think of him, is that his will is one of the most powerful things I've ever seen. When he wants something, he is just an absolute machine. Now, he doesn't have Bill Belichick behind him. He doesn't have that system behind him. He doesn't have what he had in in, in uh, New England. So it's a different environment. And things are definitely not looking quite as clean for Tom Brady here as they were out there. But this guy is going to be fired up. He's going to be really angry. He does not like all the trash talk. He does not like the comparisons with Rodgers. And I know these guys are friends, but there's no question the competitive nature for Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers is going to come out in this game. No way in the world Brady's going to walk out here and just let people say that Aaron Rodgers is the best quarterback in football and Brady's washed up. Every ounce of determination and energy that he has is going to go into having a perfect game against the Green Bay Packers. Whether or not he's going to be able to execute it, I don't know, but I will never doubt Tom Brady. Regardless of whatever his limitations are, when he flips that switch, he's an animal. So that's why I've been saying I'm, I'm more worried about him and his ability with a guy like Mike Evans and, and whoever else that they got going here than I am about this defense. And very quickly going over the defense, um, the, the biggest thing that they have going right now is obviously Levante David, very talented linebacker in coverage, not very good against the run, but elite coverage linebacker. Um, again, he is uh, he's going to be a problem but you, you don't have to throw in that direction, right? If he's either going to be playing zone, which is a pick-your-poison thing, or he's going to be playing man, and maybe he takes somebody away. But you can't take everybody away. The other lesser-known commodity is Mr. Jamel Dean. Um, he was a third-round pick. He was very, very good his rookie year. He's even better this year. He's the third overall highest-graded corner in football right now. And, uh, again, I don't think it's a fluke because he basically did it in his rookie year as well. He's turned out to be a very, very talented corner. Um, I'm assuming that's going to be the matchup for Devontae. The defensive line is iffy. Jason Pierre-Paul, the trash talker, going up against uh, David Bakhtiari, that's an absolute joke. He hasn't been a factor since, you know, before he basically lost his hand in that accident. The last time he graded out, even as a good grade, in the 70s was 2016. The last time he was in the 80s, which is the only time he graded out in the 80s, was in 2012. It was the only time he was a top 10 pass rusher. So I don't care about Jason Pierre-Paul. I know he's a big name, but again, he hasn't done anything in five years. Uh, Golston's having a great year as a pass rusher. I mean, not terrible as a run defender either. He's having probably the best year of his career. We'll have to see what happens with Vita Vea, who's also been very dominant when he's not on the field. How is that going to impact Golston? Um, he's been a mediocre to subpar player pretty much his entire career. So um, it's not impossible to break out this late in your career at, at 29 years old. We've seen it with other guys, but it is extremely rare. And again, we're, we're early in the season, so having a good season might just be, you know, one or two really bad ma- or you know bad for the offense's kind of matchups. In other words, Golston had some really good matchups, possibly. Not going to completely dismiss him, but, you know, he's not Aaron Donald, let's say that. And Dominick Sue is along this defensive line. 
Um, he had a, his first real big down year was in 2019. He's been pretty dominant from 2012 to 2018, um, but he dropped from the 80s down to, to 69 overall grade in 2019. He's at 68 right now. So it seems like he hit a pretty hard wall. Now, he's still a pretty solid run defender. Um, his pass rush, however, has completely fallen off. That doesn't seem to be much of a factor anymore. So again, he's got that going for him. Then you've got Shaquille Barrett, the guy who gets all the numbers. He's having a massive down year this year. The numbers still aren't that bad, but but comparatively, I mean, from 2015 to 2019, 70s and 80s, he's at 60 right now, 60.4. Um, his run defense is useless. He's kind of like Yannick Ngakwe, but probably a slightly better pass rusher. He's 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 going to get some pressures. He's real talented off the edge, but you just run straight at him, and he's he's useless. The other guy, Devin White, the uh, fifth overall pick back in 2019, who wants a bigger role against Aaron Rodgers and all that. One of the worst coverage linebackers in football. I already talked about it. He's terrible against the run. The one thing he's got going for him is he's a good pass rusher. Just uses that athleticism to run straight at the quarterback before the offensive line can react and he gets to the quarterback. That's the only thing he's been able to do so far. Um, As far as the safeties, I mentioned Whitehead may not be playing. He's a really bad safety, so losing him will be problematic. Winfield, however, um, he's a rookie. He's off to a great start. Maybe not quite as much in coverage, but he's a pretty solid run defender. He's actually the number one pass rushing safety in football right now, which doesn't mean that much. He's probably only done it a handful of times, but decent start. Now, the, the, the problem for Winfield, despite his decent start, is this is a very cerebral type offense. So when we're talking about young guys, even even Jamal Dean, who is a second year guy, or maybe Carlton Davis, who's a third year guy, or Sean Murphy Bunting, who is a second year guy, you know, it's a very, very young secondary. I mean, it's a, Jordan Whitehead going into his third year. Winfield is in his rookie year. White is in his second year. I mean, the, the defense in general, the, the linebackers, safeties, corners, very, very young. They're going up against a very cerebral team. They're going to pick on these guys. They're going to stress what they know mentally. So, anyways, i got to wrap it up. We'll, we'll focus a little bit more tomorrow on matchups and, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. Hopefully have a better idea of who's playing and who's not to, to kind of solidify that a bit. Dig in a little bit more on on stats and whatnot and all that stuff tomorrow. This was, again, just more of a general overview. Tampa Bay's got some talent. They've got more than enough ability to win this game. They're not the better team, and it's going to be incumbent on Tampa Bay to really step up, and and the Packers' job is to not regret, not completely fall apart on defense. You know, well, I'll save it for tomorrow, but don't regress, and you'll you'll beat Tampa Bay. That's, That's kind of where I'm at right now. But anyways, you folks have yourselves a fantastic Friday. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.